trigger warning. This episode includes the topic of cannibalism and harm to a child. Listener discretion is advised. James Jameson of Jameson Whiskey fame recently went viral when a story from 1890 surfaced that he paid six handkerchiefs to watch a girl be eaten by cannibals. But is there any truth to this? Today, we'll go over the affidavit provided to the newspapers and see how it compares with Jameson's own journal entry of this gruesome incident. Next, on Technically a Conversation. you're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? Doing pretty lovely. How are you doing? Also doing lovely, to quote you. (laughs) Good. That's awesome. (laughs) Quick shout out to the queens, Elena and Erica, the Duke, Stephen B. And the ContraZoom Pod Podcast. Thank you for sharing our posts on your social media. Thank you guys so much. It always helps. And don't think that we forgot about our contest. All that stuff is in our show notes. That's right. With all that business out of the way, ready to get started? We're diving on in, sir. Great. Let's get started. So Isela, have you ever drank alcohol before? Uh... Like alcohol, yes, not like rubbing alcohol <laughs> or anything like that. Damn, that was going to be my next question. Gross. <laughs> Actually, I'm kidding. I, I wasn't going to ask you that. But I was going to ask you, what's one of your favorite drinks? Mm, I like a good malty IPA. I guess it just depends on what I'm celebrating. If I'm like celebrating, then shit, bust out some really good tequila. I'm fucking down for that too. Excellent. Have you ever had Jameson before? Yes, I have. While drinking Jameson, did you ever pair it with any foods, maybe with a particular type of meat, maybe even some human flesh? Oh, my God. How do you like your human flesh prepared while drinking Jameson, Isela? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What the hell is this story about? (laughs) Because, one, I love Jameson. Jameson and ginger beer is also a go-to favorite of mine. Well, hopefully you won't like Jameson less after hearing this story. Oh, crap. From a November 14th, 1890 New York Times article. In 1890, James S. Jameson, heir to the famed whiskey distillery's family's wealth, was accused of the most heinous and perverse of crimes. While exploring Africa, he expressed to an interpreter his desire to witness cannibalism. The interpreter consulted with the chiefs and was informed that in order to fulfill his curiosity, he had to purchase a slave. He inquired about the price and six handkerchiefs were paid. A man returned a few minutes later with a 10-year-old girl. The girl was taken to the native's hut. Jameson and his group, along with the interpreters, followed. The girl was presented to the natives as, quote, a present from the white man with desire to see her eaten. The girl was tied to a tree, stabbed twice in the belly, and fell dead. The natives then proceeded to cut pieces from her body and eat her. Jameson all the while made sketches of the horrible scene, which he later painted with watercolors. Is there any truth to this account? Is this a made-up story? 
Surely such a display of depravity can't be true. Let's hope not. Let's explore this a little further and find out. Spoiler alert, everything that I've shared with you and our super friends thus far really occurred. Well, right off the bat, I don't love that. That's... (laughs) (laughs) So... This part of the story so far is true. It's the details and the extent of how culpable James Jameson was that is in question. So before we go into the details, were you familiar with the story, Isela? Not one bit. What do you think so far? How romantic is the story on the Tanzler Isela romance scale? <laughs> the romance meter not not registering at all. This is awful actually especially when it comes to kids like i'm very sensitive about kids animals like those things that it's hard for me to joke around when stuff like that is happening in a story i'm the same way whenever it comes to kids animals or the elderly it's very hard for me to listen i hope not to touch too much on the gruesome details but obviously there will be a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode so for our super friends that made it this far They kind of know what they're getting into. Yeah, they know what's up. According to Dan McGill from Snopes.com, this story, for reasons that are unclear, went viral online in 2021 on social media. It has shown up several times online and in memes over the years, but it really took off in 2021. One such post read, James Jameson, heir to the Jameson Irish Whiskey Company, once bought a 10-year-old slave girl for six handkerchiefs because he wanted to sketch the event as cannibals killed, mutilated, and finally ate her. Jeez. This was posted on June 1st, 2021 on Facebook and featured what appeared to be a picture of an African tribe and James Jameson. Others shared a similar story but only had a picture of James Jameson or the Jameson whiskey bottle. Some posts dated back to January of 2021. All the details in the online post, as well as the New York Times excerpt that I read at the beginning, are from a written affidavit by Assad Farhan, who was Jameson's interpreter. The affidavit had been provided by Farhan to the London Times in 1890, and everyone, including the New York Times, have subsequently cited that affidavit. As we learn a little bit more about Farhan, we'll see that subsequent remarks and retractions that he's made have put this affidavit, as well as Jameson's own journals, in question. One thing that we have to say right from the start is that Ferran's affidavit was published two years after Jameson died, so he wasn't around to defend himself or clarify any aspects of the story. The only thing that we have to go by is Jameson's journals, as well as letters that Jameson sent his wife. And in case you were wondering, Isela, Jameson was not eaten by cannibals. He died of typhoid fever in the Democratic Republic of the Congo at the age of 31. 31? Oh my goodness. That's young. He was but a wee lad, as the Irish might say. He, he was a wee lad, James Jameson. <sighs> Jameson was initially in the Democratic Republic of the Congo as part of the Ermen Pasha Relief Expedition, which was a high-profile British-led project to rescue Ermen Pasha, who was a German-born Muslim governor of Equatoria, which is an Egyptian province. He was also exploring new territories in the Congo, on behalf of Belgium. Shortly after Jameson died, cannibalism rumors emerged in the British newspapers as early as September 1888. Jameson's body hadn't even turned cold yet, 
but our boy Ferran was already being interviewed by the Aberdeen Journal and spilling all the tea. An excerpt from said interview reads, quote, Ferran affirms that he himself saw persons killed and cooked for food by the Menyamas and gives a horrible description of an orgy at which the late Mr. Jameson was an interested and non-protesting spectator. He declared that a poor woman was sentenced to this fate and that Mr. Jameson managed to get the deed postponed until he could make a sketch. Knowing what a chatty Cathy Ferran was, in his final telegram to his wife, Jameson stated that, quote, the reports about me emanating from Asad Ferran, a distinguished interpreter, are false. If made public, stop them. This final telegram was also republished in the newspapers. Not sure what kind of quarrel Jameson and Ferran had prior to Jameson's death, but he was spooked enough to know that Ferran was going to speak to the press and wanted to get ahead of it. One of the sources I came upon stated that Jameson was known to speak freely of the incident at the time and only realized the seriousness of his actions much later. I'm seeing the look on your face, Isela. What are you thinking? It makes me a little suspicious about why he waited so long to come forward with that information. If it very well was true, why not just come out with it? And then for James to try to get ahead of the story and be like, oh, he's going to say some shit about me and just like nip that shit in the bud. Like that sounds very, I don't know. I wish I knew what really happened. Maybe they even got into some kind of an argument or something. Also, what was this person's day-to-day like what what was he like? Was he this weird dark person that had an interest in cannibalism and stuff like that? Yeah, there's a lot of um you can poke a lot of holes when it comes to the dates and I just think a lot of those details have been lost to time. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, Jameson died in August of 1888 and September of 1888 was when he was already being interviewed and the actual affidavit itself did not come out until 1890. So um, there's a lot of holes here when it comes to the timelines. We really don't know if that's how long he waited. We just really have newspaper articles to to go back to. But that was one thing that did seem a little bit suspicious to me, and I do kind of poke holes into that. Speaking again of weird things with the dates, the ink wasn't even dry from the first Ferran affidavit when Ferran submitted a written retraction of his allegations against Jameson that same month. The signing of the retraction was reportedly witnessed by William Bordet Coutts, an American-born conservative member of parliament. Bordet Coutts claimed that Ferran had admitted to him personally that he had fabricated the story about Jameson as well as other allegations of abuse and violent behavior on the part of the British Army officer Edmund Bartolot because he was angry at having been fired by Bartolot. Two years later, another affidavit from Ferran surfaces This one has much more gruesome details. This and Jameson's account from his personal letters and journals after this quick commercial break. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. If you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. 
While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History Of program, taking an in-depth look, looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film, including Criterion, A24, and Neon. It isn't all super serious topics, though, as we always need to play catch-up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings-on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoomPod is found on all podcatcher apps, and visit ContraZoomPod.com for even more information. If you like all things spooky, then check out A Spooky Tales, hosted by us, Christina, and MJ, where we talk about all things spooky, paranormal stories, haunted places, myths, and legends. Listen to guests tell us their scary stories. And I hear them call me by by my name. So I run into the kitchen to check, and there's nobody there. And I start to, like, hear... Like my closet door start to open. Oh hell no! Like, oh my god! Inside. Oh hell no! All of a sudden, for no reason, I woke up in the middle of the night. Like my eyes just snapped open, and it's that strange feeling that you have when something wakes you up. You and you don't know what has woken you up until you either see what it was or you hear whatever it was. There are new episodes every Friday. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at SpookyTales.com. Welcome back. Did you eat any little girls during our break, Isela? Let's do that one again. <laughs> that just bummed me out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank goodness, no. Okay, good. I'm guessing this isn't ranking very high on the Tanslery Sella romance scale. <laughs> not that that one did either. <laughs> that one did not. <laughs> so it's two years later, and Ferran is being messy again. His first name should have been Lionel. Actually, if anything, we should probably be commending Ferran for bringing this atrocity to light. So the second article is from the Times of London and is dated November 14th, 1890. And from what I understand, this was the original source that the New York Times used for their story that I read at the beginning. Ferran wrote in the republished affidavit that Jameson was, quote, very anxious to see a man killed and eaten by cannibals. And that during a stop in the village of Reba Reba, which is now Lakandu in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Jameson told the local tribal leader, quote, In England, we hear much about cannibals who eat people, but being myself in the place, I should like to see it done. Everything is kind of recounted the same way as the New York Times article I summarized at the beginning, but in this one, it said that the girl was stabbed to death and mutilated rather than just being stabbed two times and then eaten. The same detail remains that Jameson drew six sketches of the scene, which were later painted with watercolors. For some reason, the watercolors make it seem like, like it was not a big deal, right? Right. I think if you, <laughs> I think if you describe it with like being painted with watercolors, they're almost trying to put a lens of something pretty through it. I guess when I think of watercolors, I think of all these beautiful paintings and this is clearly not what that is at all. <laughs> yeah, and they weren't very pretty. 
I will have actually a link to an article that has those uh, that has reproductions of those paintings that he made. I mean, they weren't bad, but you hear so much about him painting this and making these sketches. You would imagine him to be like a prolific artist, and he wasn't. Oh, okay. He's like like the other the other hand, whatever his non dominant hand is. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't quite stick figures. Like it would probably be better than the average person. Okay. But um, by mentioning the sketches, they're either trying to bring levity to it or just speak of how atrocious it was that he took the time to sketch this. Mm. So the following day, the Times of London published a letter from Jameson himself, written on August 3rd, 1888, two weeks before his death. This letter was provided to the Times by Jameson's wife, Ethel. In the letter, Jameson claimed to have been horrified by the murder and mutilation of the girl and said the whole ordeal had come about because he had been dismissing the accuracy of various stories about cannibalism. He told a, quote, Arab man present that he did not believe this could happen in any country in the world. Such was his revulsion and disbelief. Jameson's letter stated he was told, quote, give me a bit of cloth and see. Jameson thought this was another ruse to get something out of him, but being that the man had been so kind to him, and he had extra cloth. He sent a boy for a small piece of six handkerchiefs, which he gave to him. Quote, then followed the most horrible scene I ever witnessed in my life. The whole thing happened so quickly, had I wished, I could not have sketched it. And I had nothing with me to sketch with they all being in my house. The small sketches I made were done in the evening afterwards in my own house. How the girl was obtained, I do not know. Along with Jameson's letter, his wife, Ethel, also enclosed an affidavit signed by Ferran on September 25th, 1888, in which he issued a retraction. The retraction stated, quote, I, Asad Ferran, lately interpreter with the relief expedition, declare most solemnly that the story of Mr. Jameson buying the girl has been altogether misunderstood. The story is entirely untrue, and such a charge against Mr. Jameson I declare to be unfounded. The six handkerchiefs given by Mr. Jameson were a present and had no reference whatsoever to the occurrence of which, through the above misunderstanding, they have been erroneously connected. Now, the problem with this retraction, however, is that it also contradicts a few of the things that Jameson himself admitted to in his letters and journals. He admitted to giving six handkerchiefs in exchange for the girl being killed, mutilated, and eaten, although by his account, he didn't actually believe anyone would go through with this. Farang claims that there was no correlation between the handkerchiefs and the cannibalism. The second problem is that Farang's retraction was supposedly dated September 25th, 1888, which was 18 months before he signed the first affidavit that was published in the Times in November of 1890. So the timeline doesn't match up. He's retracting something before the original account was even written and published. Right. So grab a fresh diaper, Isala, because something <laughs> smells like caquita. Yeah, caquita is a nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something's definitely not adding up for sure. It sounds like when he wrote this last letter, I'm wondering, did you get the vibes of like deathbed confessions type of thing? I personally didn't get that. What I kind of felt was that maybe his wife might have produced that information and claimed that it was from Jameson and from Ferran. 
there's no evidence of this. That's just what I personally think. And none of the sources that I read never was that claimed, but that's kind of what I thought. I thought that maybe she was trying to defend her husband's good name. Sure. It does sound feasible for sure. I, I could understand that. And I'll mention a little bit about the family a little bit later too. I just think that the excuse of, I only dared you to do it. I didn't think you were going to do it. That excuse or pretense that he's trying to <laughs> to use, it doesn't hold any water. Are you, ugh, that still turns my stomach, even if you were to still speak in an existence. Uh, you know, it's like when you say a joke that's half-hearted, well, there's still some truth in it. Oh, definitely. I think had he not been serious about it, he wouldn't have agreed to a price. Yeah. I mean, obviously he was okay with it because he sent somebody to go get the six handkerchiefs. And also, by the way, like, what type of handkerchiefs were these that they're worth the value of a life? I know. Were they made of gold? What the fuck? I try to put into the inflation calculator <laughs> how much the handkerchiefs would be worth in today's money. But unfortunately, that's not a conversion rate that they have available. That's another thing that I just find hard to believe. You can't eat a handkerchief. You can't convert a handkerchief into money. I, I don't see how. Was that like a weird way to carry money? Maybe it was like a little pouch, you know, change holder. Okay, maybe that is somewhat understandable, but just handkerchiefs? Like what's happening? Yeah. And the six handkerchiefs part is definitely true because that's mentioned in all accounts of the story. They all mention those six damn handkerchiefs. I don't know if they're made out of gold or what the hell. Right. Right. But that part of the story is definitely true. And that's also just hard to believe. Yeah, I, I can't believe that either. In 1891, Ethel edited and published her husband's account of the expedition and dated the cannibalism story to May 11th, 1888. It pretty much had all the same information as the August 3rd, 1888 letter that was sent to Ethel and published by the Times of London, but it did reiterate that he did not set out with the intention of witnessing any murder or mutilation and describes what he witnessed as the most horribly sickening sight he has ever likely to see in his life. He also stated, quote, Until the last moment, I could not believe that they were in earnest. I have heard many stories of this kind since I have been in this country, but never could believe them. And I never would have been such a beast as to witness this, but I could not bring myself to believe that it was anything save a ruse to get money out of me until the last moment. The actual recounting of the incident from Jameson's journal is more graphic and gruesome. <gasps> Their journal describes the following, and is from a Futility Closet article that links to a page of the journal and has reproductions of the sketches that Jameson made. So that's what I was referring to earlier. That'll be in the show notes. Okay. Quote, I told him that people at home generally believed that these accounts of cannibalism were only traveler's tales, as they are called in our country, or, in other words, lies. He then said something to an Arab called Ali, seated next to him, who turned around to me and said, Give me a bit of cloth and see. I sent my boy for six handkerchiefs, thinking it was all a joke and that they were not in earnest, but presently a man appeared, leading a young girl of about ten years old by the hand and I then witnessed the most horrible, sickening sight I am ever likely to see in my life. Mm. He plunged a knife quickly into her breast twice, and she fell on her face, turning over on her side. Mm. Three men then ran forward and began to cut up the body of the girl. Finally, her head was cut off, 
and not a particle remained, each man taking his piece away down to the river to wash it. The most extraordinary thing was that the girl never uttered a sound nor struggled until she fell. According to an All That's Interesting article, both Jameson's and Ferran's accounts agree that the girl never made a sound or struggled until she fell. Aww. So there you have it, Isela. That's pretty much all the facts. Yeah. The journal sounds, and especially if it's dated, it sounds a little more likely to be believed. But still, why are you going to joke with somebody that you don't know? I mean, I don't think it sounds like he was traveling with this person all the time. You can't joke with somebody and be like, oh, these are only traveler's tales. Ha <laughs> ha. And then they're like, fuck around and find out. Give me some shit. And then they're like, uh, wait a second. What are you doing? Ugh, that's awful. I think you had a lot of moments where you could have interceded. You know, you could have said, you know what? I was just kidding. Or when they actually brought the girl out, it would have been like, you know what? Stop, stop. Keep the damn handkerchiefs. Please don't murder this girl. Right. If you had to pick sides, who would you side with? Jameson or Ferran? I still think that Jameson, even for suggesting it, would be guilty. I think he's partly liable. That's something you don't even joke about. You know what I mean? I just don't think that's anything you should say. So I do hold him partly responsible for sure. Me too. I definitely think that he's responsible for what happened. As I mentioned earlier, I personally found a lot of holes in this story. I don't doubt the cannibalism part of the story or that Jameson was truly horrified after witnessing what happened, but just the timeline and dates of the correspondence don't line up. Like I mentioned before, Ferran's first affidavit was published in 1890, but Jameson had already sent his wife a telegram stating that reports from Ferran about him were false, and there was a signed affidavit from Ferran from 1888 retracting a story that he didn't tell until 1890. So that seems very fishy. The math's just don't add up here. <laughs> right. I think something must have happened. And Jameson knew that Ferran was going to come clean and he tried to get ahead of it. But little did he know that, you know, either he took whatever affidavit or, you know, he maybe he's the one, maybe Jameson's the one who stole it. And then he realized it never came out. Fuck it. I'm going to send another one. And then here we are two years later. Maybe he anticipated becoming a meme in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now, in all fairness, with Jameson having died two years before the story came to light and no chance for Jameson to defend himself or clarify certain aspects of the story, it's unknown if we'll truly know just how guilty Jameson was or how much he actually played a part in all of this. Did he truly not think this was going to happen and was incredulous up until the last moment? Or did he have a bloodlust that only the murder <laughs> and mutilation of a young girl could satisfy? Mm, that's sad. Going back to what you were saying, it is also important to note that Jameson never faced justice for his actions. He died shortly after the incident in question. According to All That's Interesting, Jameson's family, with the help of the Belgian government, were able to hush up many of the atrocities that happened on this trip. Mm. It didn't go into detail what the atrocities were, just that it sounded like there was more than one. Right. Once they said many... Of the atrocities, that's a lot of yellow flags. Like, stop the game. What's going on here? Here's another yellow flag on the play first down. <laughs> this mission became the last of its kind, and non-scientific civilian expeditions into Africa were suspended. Hmm. Well, if Americans are going in there and knocking humanity over on its ass, well, yeah, we should not be allowed to play. Well, I think he was Irish, 
but he was representing Belgium for some reason on a British expedition. It's really weird how all this stuff is mixed up and entangled. Yeah, sorry. I think I'm just so used to Americans being <laughs> like us being the crazy ones. Sorry. <laughs> and any other story, it usually is the American that's fucking up. We we're a little rambunctious and crazy. <laughs> Dan McGill from Snopes also wasn't able to fully fact check some of the details and gave a mixed truth rating to this story. The only part that is for certain true, as reported by Ferran and admitted to by Jameson himself, is that he witnessed the murder and mutilation of a girl in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in 1888. Hmm. The incident took place after Jameson paid a man six handkerchiefs. I would also like to point out that it's possible him dying at 31 could somehow be his karma. I don't know. That's up for debate as much as this whole story. So just throwing it out there. Although I think better karma would have been for him to stand trial of, you know, what it was that he did. For sure. So as to not to end on a sad note, <laughs> we do have a review from Keith S. on Facebook. This is actually from September, but I'm awful and never f check Facebook. <laughs> I just go on there and post all the social media stuff and get out as quickly as possible. Understood, understood. <laughs> Luckily, I did reply to him though. Oh. And his review is short and sweet. Funny podcast. I can't wait to see where this goes. Yay. So Keith S., thank you so much for your review and recommendation on the Facebook. Thank you, Keith. We really appreciate it. Hopefully you're still enjoying this show after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll try to swing it back up. <laughs> and that makes you our super friend of the week. Very nice. Just in case you guys did not know, what I was doing was the Frank the Tank kind of motion, but to the do uh, <laughs> the little audio. <laughs> I was going to say, I love how you pantomime all of the little music. Yeah, it's fun. Whether it's the orchestration of our <laughs> theme song or you're playing uh, air piano to some of the ads. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you got to do something. What else do we do? Oh, I already finished painting my nails. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this podcast is good background noise for when you're painting your nails. Yeah, it is. It's a glowing review from Isela. Thank you so much, Isela. Oh, man. <laughs> Can we do a review for ourselves? We're going to start doing that. <laughs> On that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review like our friend Keith S. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a gruesome story to share with us. Or if you just want to say hello. I like how you also pantomime the things that I'm saying. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs>